Howdy. If you haven't already, make sure to follow us on all the socials. We are at History and Film on Instagram and HIF Pod on Twitter. My personal Twitter account is at TrackNerds, and you can always email me at Simmons at TrackNerds.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons, and this is kind of more of a movie history podcast, but we are in the midst and in the final stages of a tournament to determine the most interesting person in history. We are down to a final four of Cleopatra, Genghis Khan, Napoleon, and T.E. Lawrence. And we've kind of hashed it out with some biographies and all that kind of stuff. But these last couple rounds are just going to be a little more fun. I have Logan Denning and Joe Humer here with me. And today we are going to discuss Cleopatra and Genghis Khan. Gentlemen, how's it going? Good. What a crazy final four. Like, I don't know. Would you have thought, I I think these are kind of, uh, maybe just because like I've been part of this tournament the whole time, but I think this is kind of maybe sort of predictable that these four were the ones that ended up here. Um, It's interesting, yeah, because it's kind of like a regular NCAA tournament in that there was some upsets early on, but by the end, it's mostly the higher seeds that kind of do just kind of power through. That's true. That's an interesting note there. Yeah, did we, what's the, who's the lowest seed on here? I didn't even look. Fours. We got two four seeds and two one seeds. Cleopatra's oh. a four seed. Oh, that's right. That's right. She is. Okay. Two ones and two fours. Which that was almost just because her bracket is so her bracket is so notable or such notable people. I mean, she would be the equivalent of probably a one or two seed in the other regions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The the one, two, three was Jesus, Alexander the Great, and Julius Caesar <laughs> for notoriety just off the bat for sure. But Right, right. And you can still make an argument for her being even ahead of Caesar or, or, or Alexander the Great as far as notoriety goes. Yeah. The one thing we didn't get to last time that Logan had mentioned we should do, and I do want to do that real quick as we get started here. So almost kind of coincidence, you do just have the... We only have one person from each region in the final four. Each region is still represented, and that's almost just a coincidence. And Logan suggested doing real quick a vote for the winner of each region as if they had gone to head-to-head. And just oh. to kind of see if we end up with the same final four, which we still could. So let's let's just kind of look at that real oh. quick. If we're looking at Cleopatra, I, Cleopatra first. Oh Osama, yeah, great. I, I didn't even think of that. That yeah, it's it is just by chance that it happened this way. But yeah, each, that is weird. Each so is is that the final four or is that is that are they each the champions of their bracket? Uh, well, yeah, but obviously two people from each advanced, and then they got put on the opposite sides, but they, then they all got beat by oh, other regions. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So like, so, like, Genghis Khan, Empress Matilda need to go up against each other, is what you're saying. That, yeah, that, that, was, that was what you were suggesting. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's the hypothetical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, let's, okay. uh, let's, so let's do that real quick. If, uh, so okay. if we had Cleopatra versus Ashaka, I, th- yep. I mean, I'd vote Cleopatra still. I think, we're, I think we got the right pick there. I think Cleopatra. Oh, I, th- okay. I think Ashoka the Great. I think Ashoka beats Cleopatra. Really? I think it's. Oh, yeah. really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But we'll still say we'll say okay. We'll say two to two to one Cleopatra. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think that again, and we've talked about it many times uh, over the course of this tournament. But Ashoka's his transition from right, you know, right, mega bloodthirsty conqueror to like pacifist father figure for his empire. I just think is well, yeah, and that, well, that's why I voted for him to beat T. Lawrence, but you guys didn't go that way over there. Well, <laughs> this—he's not going up against T. E. Lawrence right now. He's going up against Cleopatra, so that's why he's. 
That's why I'm voting for Amir. <laughs> so Ashoka has the bigger character arc than uh, <laughs> than Cleopatra. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, again, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I did want to kind of uh, right. run through these again. Uh, so then uh, in the next one, uh, Genghis Khan versus Matilda. Genghis Khan. Sticking with Genghis Khan. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stay and call it two to zero. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. I'll, oh, because I feel like it'd take me 10 minutes to hash it out. Yeah, it's probably Genghis Khan, but I don't like it. How about that? Richie's going to play devil's advocate on all of these. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Napoleon versus Queen Elizabeth I. Napoleon. I think Napoleon. Napoleon. Yeah, and then... Uh, I would say on, on that one, Joe Joe voted Ivan the Terrible in yeah. Napoleon versus Queen Elizabeth. Joe voted for Ivan the Terrible. So Oh, that's a good point. Joe wrote in Ivan the Terrible. Ivan the Terrible over both of them. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, T.E. Lawrence versus Puyi. T.E. Lawrence. Ah, T.E. Lawrence. Even though I was a, a big Puyi supporter right, in his right. okay. his final four matchup, or was it a lead eight might, matchup, that's right. I might go Puyi again there. But but at the same time, it does it is kind of interesting. So we, the whole idea is when we went to the, the four regions and then we split them up heading into the Elite Eight so they wouldn't have to face each other. But if we had done it that way, we might have ended up with the exact same final four, which is kind of neat that if we could have you know done the bracket two different ways and still get the same four at the end. So, if nothing else, oh, that yeah. kind of speaks to it's a pretty good uh, Final Four here. Right. Okay. So, yes, we want to do something completely uh, different this round. First round was just kind of Logan and I's knee-jerk reaction, and just we kind of hashed it out without a ton of research. Uh, second round, we did the full biographies of all of the Sweet 16 participants, brought in Joe for the Elite Eight to bring in a third opinion, and now that we're in the Final Four, we're going to have... We were already having fun, but we're going to have a little more fun with it and kind of just talk out some hypotheticals here and just see where it goes. So I kind of want to start with putting Cleopatra and Genghis Khan into different time periods. So let's just kind of start with Cleopatra and we're going to put her into the late 12th, early 13th century in Mongolia. What happens? What do we oh, see? so so is she is she actually taking on Genghis Khan's role? Is that what we're? Is that the uh, hypothetical here? Well, I I like that. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that, but I like that idea too. But let, let's let's talk about all the scenarios because we probably need to put the language stuff aside. Or I guess you could do it both too. She's one you could argue would pick up the Mongol language pretty quickly with all her uh, language abilities, and we maybe fit right in. But then you know, how did they view her as a woman? Let's start with her just being there in the first place, and then we might be getting to her literally as Genghis Khan's role and see how that kind of plays out. But again, this is all just kind of hypothetical discussions. Really focusing on the characters. We've talked about kind of, you know, historical bullet points up to this point. But I really want to kind of get into the characters of who these people were and how Cleopatra would fit into Mongol society. And you can look at it two ways, too. So first off, I think, I think the obvious is the, uh, the gender aspect. Right, true. Where that's the, that's the first thing to note there if Cleopatra was in the Mongols. But I think with that, like... Would this almost be literally the the Khaleesi story because oh right, or the right, Targaryen right. story because we you actually mentioned Cleopatra <laughs> kind of having that vibe to begin with. Did we just <laughs> did we just write Game of Thrones? You guys, I think we just wrote Game of Thrones. <laughs> you take Cleopatra and put her in the Mongols. Boom! Oh my gosh, we did it <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> I hate it when you accidentally write Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know the that that is an interesting point though about the genders because in in Mongol society, gender, I mean, gender was still, it was still considered like, you know, there was still uh, like male and female roles, but women did have a little more kind of autonomy and ability to, you know, have leadership positions and stuff 
than in other places in the world at that time. And the meritocracy thing, yeah, yeah. I think it it all goes back to kind of the the nomadic aspect that you know everyone within their society had to have a role, right, in yeah. order to to survive as a society. Yeah, I'm very similar to um, a lot of like Native American cultures. Where you know you have yeah. the the women are taking on a, a huge huge role in the success of those those societies. Absolutely. So yeah, so I'm trying to think. So let's say let's say she was born into a family similar to Temujin's. Similarly, you know, if her if an important father is killed early, she probably gets married off or or you know in something along those lines. But if she is still the same person as far as you know, yeah. her capabilities, does she still kind of rise or does she maybe attach it, herself to a strong husband? Again, it's, it's, it's Game of Thrones. I think it, I think it depends a lot on one, how high born she is. Right. And two, True. kind of what the circumstances are as far as like what kind of uh, authority she actually gets to get. Cause like she, it's possible that she's just like, she gets married off, and yeah, she's super smart, but no one ever knows or finds out about it because she's just like, you know, making this like one camp of Mongols like really good, but like doesn't really exert any influence. Or conversely, maybe it's like later on in the Mongol Empire, and she's able to use her language skills and her, you know, negotiating skills to maybe make an impact, you know, as far as maybe some of their trade stuff or diplomacy. Like it, I think it kind of depends where and when we put her how much of an influence she actually has right and i hate to say for the purposes of this just kind of hypothetical thing we're still trying to determine who's more interesting and all that that i don't want to feel like she's at a disadvantage for being a woman just because the society we're thrusting her into is maybe a little more sexist the other way to look at it would be what if you did the quantum leap well that you guys maybe were probably too young to even know what quantum leap is but what if she was literally put into Genghis Khan's role. So now it's like Cleopatra's consciousness has gone into oh. Genghis Khan, so you can negate the gender Ooh, thing. Okay, like a, like a Freaky Friday situation. Yeah, yeah, there you go, there you go. I think we'd almost have a pretty similar situation, you know, in, in terms of, especially the rise to power. Um, you know, Cleopatra wasn't afraid to uh, kill off right. her rivals, so... Right. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think was that ambitious. she would have been as brutal, though. I think... I think Genghis Khan is like next level, you know, pouring silver in people's eye sockets and stuff. I, I don't think Cleopatra gets that creative with the murder part. I think there's also something to add about his innovativeness in the military strategy, which I don't know that we get that from Cleopatra either. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the, doing a doing a Freaky Friday situation almost puts Cleopatra in a disadvantage, making her a dude. Because true, yeah. that's part of her strength. Having her as a woman, like not not to say that like oh right. she was she was only able to do what she did because you know she was like you know hot or like seducing the dudes or whatever. But like she she knew what she was doing, like with the perfumed sales and stuff. Like it wasn't the only thing that she had, but it was a big thing that she had was you know her weaponized sexuality. Like she, I I think I think being a dude puts her at a disadvantage. I think she's better at uh, like she is more successful. Because she knew, like, how to use her femininity. I, I agree with that. And I, I think almost, I think you're right. I don't think we need to do the, the okay. gender swap. Because okay. I think she's still going to rise to power. She's, she's the Khaleesi. She's the Khaleesi, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's still going to do those kind of things to influence her or to rise her power. She's going right. to find 
other tribes and try to form political alliances the same way that she did in Egypt to escalate herself higher uh, there on the throne. I could see her maybe maybe be in a similar situation through with Genghis Khan through say the battle with Jamuka, and once she's kind of established herself as the ruler of Mongolia, maybe she doesn't have Genghis's or you know or Temujin's expansionist ambitions, but she is the great controller of this smaller region where she's got total control over it. Everyone kind of bows to her authority, and it's just a smaller region because she's less ambitious, but. She's world famous to this day as this Mongolian female leader who controlled this area at a time when women didn't control this area just through sheer strength of her, you know, intellectual prowess and charisma and everything else. So I think maybe she's just as just as famous, just made with a smaller empire if she had been in this role. Yeah, I can see that. It makes me wonder, you know, obviously the the things about her in Egypt were largely tied to Rome. Like, you know, it was largely tied to a bigger empire and the political aspects of that. You know, what is the the Mongolian aspect uh, that would be the, the counterpart to that? You know, obviously, China at this part is not comparable to what Rome was. At this right, point right. And they were big, but they weren't, yeah, they weren't also in Mongolia's business to the extent that Rome is in Egypt's business, right? And they didn't, they didn't have as much autonomy, like... Egypt was, it was part of, like, what's the, I forget what the actual name was. It was like a vassal state kind more of less, thing. Yeah. yeah, more or less a puppet state. Vassal state, right. So it was it was under the control of Rome, but they were still pretty autonomous. Right. Whereas China was just, it it was part of the Mongol Empire at that point. Like, it, it there was no, like... Well, after Temujin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. After yeah, he conquered. Okay, yeah, yeah. But the, there's not really a, a large political rival... Uh, at least in terms of expansionism in the East at this point in time. You know, the Mongols were the expansionists. <laughs> there was nobody True. else to challenge right, right. Let's uh let's uh let's shift gears here now and put uh Temujin into Egypt in the first century BCE. And let's maybe start with him being a visitor, maybe someone who comes to Cleopatra's court, but she's had some messengers and already speaks Mongol when he arrives. <laughs> and, uh, but, but but let's focus on the Tem- sorry. Let's focus on the Temujin side of it. Things before the meeting. Let's let's talk, just talk about Temujin himself in Egypt. And uh, I guess would he come as a conqueror? Uh, and we do it both ways. First is maybe he comes in as a conqueror, and then he he comes in as what if he was born into the society? So first as a conqueror, I guess he'd probably just kick all their butts. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I think I think the the question there is is he is he welcomed in or is he uh, is he having to put up a fight to get into Egypt because. But how much, uh, I don't know, Egypt's, Egypt's tricky, though, because he has to get across a lot of desert. That's true, that's true. And that's hard to do with horses. That's true. He's, uh, he's pretty innovative, though. He might have to switch his uh, means of transportation, switching to camel. Oh, yeah, there you go. They're on camel. Archers on camel. <laughs> double, double archers on camels. That would be yeah, cool. Double, double Mongol archers on camels. <laughs> Going through the desert. It feels like it's not <laughs> not quite of uh, not quite of a, as explosive of an attack there. <laughs> That'd yeah. still be scary. You're gonna lose out on some of that. Uh... <laughs> yeah, as as a conqueror, I don't know. I don't I that's, don't know if tough. he's able that's to tough. get. Okay, especially because like Egypt under the control of Rome at the time. Like I I don't know. Okay, I mean he was he was good, but I don't know if he was like take on the Roman Empire at the height of its power. Good. How you know? Hold up, hold up. Before before we get there, you know. You know, what was the extent that 
the Mongol Empire got. And I was trying to pull up a map here. I said, didn't it get almost Egypt anyway? <laughs> I mean, it got right up to the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. Right. So, you know, I... But yeah, yeah, stopped because of the desert, though, maybe. <laughs> I'm not necessarily a geography expert, so I don't know how much desert, per se, uh, you know, there is in, like, Iraq, Iraq and Iran. Uh, I'm sure it's a lot more desert in Egypt and Saudi Arabia, you know, the further you get uh, that way. So I'm, it's the question of, you know, had he already had to deal with desert? Was that the reason that they stopped going further than the point that they did? Is they were like, screw this, this sucks. Right. I mean, he, there's deserts in China, too, of course. He, he does take over, like, parts of Iraq and Syria and Iran like present day era like that's all that's all desert a lot of it is is mountainous but like it there's there's desert but he doesn't yeah he doesn't really go south into like uh into the arabian peninsula or where like israel jordan egypt like he doesn't and, and i i'm willing to bet this probably because it's just like oh well what's that way and he's like i don't know like a <laughs> oh right bunch of sand like who cares more more desert <laughs> let's uh let's Swip it, uh, switch it then to where someone of Temujin's talents is born into Egypt into, say, roughly Cleopatra's role. So we'll say there's no Cleopatra, but basically we'll say Temujin is Ptolemy the Thirteenth. He is the son of Ptolemy the Twelfth, born at the same time as uh, Cleopatra with the with the same talents. I don't Ooh. think Cleopatra survives. Yep. I, yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. I was gonna say a timeline where she's not even around. Regardless, you know, you know, regardless, a, a sister. A sister of any sort. Okay. I don't think a sister survives okay. in that situation. Okay. Or, or, or does he? Well, no, he marries his sister. Or it, it, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But if yeah. she tried to challenge power, oh, if okay. she tries to challenge power, I don't yeah. think that's going to fly. Uh she she might poison we him. We have we have a direct example. We we know that his his older brother tried to you know take control over their family and marry their mom, and he was like, nope, boom, arrow to the Cleopatra forehead. killed plenty of her siblings too. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you're saying there is no, no Cleopatra. Right, okay, yes. You're saying there's no Cleopatra, and, it, yes. and it's just Genghis Sorry, Khan. I, I was just making sure we're giving Cleo her, her fair shake, and, but yeah. And there's a there's a difference. Cleopatra had siblings killed. She's not murdering them with her <laughs> own hand. Genghis Khan is straight up personally looking into the eyes of his siblings and murdering them. Almost feels like another gender disadvantage there, but yeah. But like, anyway, let's let's say he is now Ptolemy the Thirteenth. Okay, yeah. that's. I think it's I think it's both. I think it's a gender advantage and a disadvantage because yeah, he has the brute strength advantage of being this really aggressive dude who's like a skilled warrior and has a brilliant military mind. But again, Cleopatra knows how to use what she has. <laughs> and she again, I want to stress, I'm not just saying, "Oh, well she's only successful cuz she's a chick." Like, no. She was a chick and was successful because she knew that that gave her certain advantages over men. And, and again, she was a competent leader and yeah, smart. But anyway, let, let's stick with Temujin. So I, I'm more looking at now how does a Temujin as the pharaoh of Egypt deal with Rome? And when you get so like, let's say that you're going to have the Julius Caesar stuff still happening. You're going to have Pompey escape to now Temujin for help as the leader of Egypt. And how does that kind of play out? It, because it could be, yeah. Well, we can still say he sides with Julius Caesar as, as maybe the winning cause. So I, I think the the furthest the furthest the furthest stretch of the story is that Genghis Khan also seduces Julius <laughs> Caesar. <laughs> hey, it could happen. But yeah, I, I think he's a uh, because the the Egyptians killed Pompey, right? Yes, Ptolemy yes. Did. Her, uh, Cleopatra's brother, yeah, handed his head over. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and Julius Caesar was butthurt about the but yeah. Was 
Cleopatra wasn't involved in that decision, though, was she? No, no, no. She was she was already on the ass with her, her brother, brother, and then joins with Julius Caesar against her brother. Right. So I still say, well, you could say that Temujin joins the same side. Yeah, that brother would be if, dead by yeah, now. Because if Timogen's on the same side, I I think I think Timogen then I I don't think that because Timogen I I think would be in charge. I don't think he oh, would be correct. like Cleopatra where he's kind of relegated to the side. So I think I think he is the the Ptolemy the what is it the thirteenth? I think it's the thirteenth. Yeah, yeah, thirteenth. I think yeah. he is Ptolemy the thirteenth, and I think he kills Pompey, and then I think he takes the fight to Caesar. I agree, Julius Caesar. I agree. That's what I was going to say as well. I think he gives him okay, interesting. gives him more of a run for his money than than Ptolemy did. I don't think taking Ptolemy's head is a is a gift to appease Caesar so much as it's like we did this to this You're guy. Next, try us. Oh, <laughs> try us. Yeah, exactly. Next. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a flex. Yeah. It's a warning. Yep. I can see both because it depends on where he's at at the time. So maybe initially he captures Pompey and turns him over to Caesar. But then over the next few years, that turns into more of a rivalry as he wants to be equal. So maybe he starts with like as a friend, uh, you know, ally with Caesar that turns into a fight for power of Egypt versus Rome with Rome led by Caesar. But then you also would argue, OK, but then Caesar is still assassinated. And then you have this, the triumvirate of Antony and Octavian. And then how does that how does now a Genghis Khan deal with that? And does he take advantage of a fractured yeah, Rome to maybe start working his way up there? How much of that stuff even happens in without Cleopatra being around? Like Julius Caesar assassination still happens, I think. I, I think taking, yeah, but the I don't know. I I think there's just so much like Cleopatra just involved in so much that taking her out almost makes it like so different. Like it's so crazy to even think right, about. That's what we're talking about. That's what. That was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'm just saying it's, I don't know. It's, Where to begin? I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I don't even yeah. know what I'm trying to say. No, it's, it's almost overwhelming because it's so different, right? But I would still say Caesar gets assassinated because that more had that had more to do with his rise to power and becoming a dictator. Sure. In, you know, 6th Emperor Tyrannus. So yeah. that's different than his relationship with Cleopatra. So how does Temujin maybe then exploit a post-Caesar assassination division in Rome? Does he side with one or the other? Does he kind of just go, does he raise an army and just attack Rome itself while Octavian's off trying to track down Mark Antony? I'm very curious to see how this plays out. Or does Antony ever fall from grace without Cleopatra? I don't see him attacking Rome directly, you know, in terms of the city Rome. I don't see him going to Italy, more or less. I, I see kind of the same expansionist that he had with Mongolia. And I would anticipate kind of uh, expanding up into the Middle East creating a land empire right right north africa and into like the yeah especially because i don't to, to my knowledge i don't believe there was much uh naval warfare from the mongols so i, I can't see that being his <laughs> strong suit <laughs> but if he was born in egypt it'd be a whole different it might be different you're right you're right he's living on a uh, a coastline there but <laughs> okay okay you can't you gonna bring your horses over on the boats <laughs> okay so uh so last scenario here i would say is now let's say you have a Genghis Khan visiting Cleopatra in Egypt under hospitable terms. He's coming as like an envoy of himself, but our borders are up next to your borders. I want to meet this interesting queen. How's that play out? I don't think he's interested. <laughs> I don't think he cares. I, I was actually going to say opposite. I, I do think he'd be interested. I Especially think- if she speaks Mongol. I think he'd be all about that. He'd be wanting to have the kids with her just like Caesar. Uh, and, you know, he... Known to get around a little bit, so this right, is an right. opportunity I, I, for I him to continue to spread his seed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is, uh, in this scenario, I think, yeah, you know, even as hospitable borders, 
Cleopatra welcomes him in. Let's discuss this thing. I think he's mind blown by it. Right. It's right. Because I think that's her ultimate strength of this whole thing is she is the most interesting person in history to be around. We're now, you know, we can debate interesting life lives and all that. But I think just like that's her whole spell is that you meet her and you're just like, holy cow, I've never met anybody like this. He walks in. She's speaking Mongol from the beginning. And he's just like, oh, wow. And he's intrigued and fascinated by her. And whether it turns romantic or not is a different story. But I think he'd be like in awe of this uh, this woman speaking, you know, eight, nine different languages. One of them says and all that. But I think one of the other questions to ponder here is, you know, we talked about you know, the whole idea that Cleopatra was this beautiful woman is, is kind of overplayed and probably not all that accurate. But, you know, what is she to the Mongols? You know, is she is she this foreign beauty, like this exotic woman? Like, oh, right. Right. Oh, yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a good obviously, she's, uh, you know, of Greek descent, which is can be a little different than Asian descent. So right, right. Maybe that is even a, a more appealing factor on top of you know, just how mm, fascinating right, she is right. to talk with. I don't know. I I think he he would. <laughs> I think he would view a trip like that as like like when a workaholic is like forced to go on a family vacation. <laughs> and he, the whole time he's just like he's just like oh my god like I like this is cool like yeah you got the cool building and stuff you know the queen's pretty cute but like I just want to get back to conquering like I. I got cities to go pillage. He's busy checking his like, work got, email. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He'd have his Blackberry checking his work email from his from his buddies about the their new siege weaponry or whatever. I think he's like cuz he's like, you know, he even said it like when he's on his deathbed like, "Oh, I didn't have enough time to conquer the world." I don't think he's taking the time to take a trip. I think if he does the whole time he's just the only thing is like I I just got to get back to conquering. <laughs> I I have to get back to my armies and I have to expand the glorious Mongol Empire. Okay. You know what? While while we're here, we might as well just take this place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. I always thought of him as maybe a little more intellectually minded with all his, you know, the meritocracy ideas, the religious tolerance ideas, but you're right. At the same time, the workaholic analogy is probably an apt one that he would just be too antsy to take a break from his MO. Okay, so shifting gears once again, we now want to, and this is essentially Bill and Ted's assignment in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, was what would these historical figures you've been assigned think of the world of San Dimas High? So let's, uh, Let's bring Cleopatra into the modern world. And we'll start the same thing as we did before. We're, we're just to say she's basically Bill and Ted style teleported and brought to, and we can do this kind of both ways, 1980s San Dimas, California, or basically just, you know, 2021 uh, into 2022 here in United States, Europe, whatever it is, the modern world. So let's say we've brought Cleopatra with our phone booth time machine, or I guess my time machine for the little boombox from my book, but. Yeah. What, what what is she, what is what does she think? What does she think? We brought Cleopatra to the present. I think first off, I think Cleopatra is even more successful in the modern era because of mm. the the yeah. more equitable gender roles. I think her power could far far exceed what it was of her actual time period. I I think yeah. she's a massively successful either politician or like CEO type or or both. She she goes the Donald Trump route. Sorry to get political. She's got, the, she's, got, she, she's, got she's got the ego, <laughs> right? Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Huge ego, massively confident, great at uh, diplomacy and negotiations. 
super skilled, multilingual. Yeah, super. That's true. With the okay, yeah, that's true. The, the Trump thing's an insult. She, she's, she's, yeah, way better than any politician. Yeah, right. And and if she if she's able to flex her to flex the fact that she's a woman in like you know the first century BC, like just imagine how successful she could be now. Yeah, that's that's oh, what right. I'm saying. I, I think you're spot on. She's president. She's 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 female president and also the CEO of all the companies. <laughs> she's the owner of Tesla. Like you're right. I just yeah, anybody walks in and she's just the president needs no translator. People just walk in and she's immediately just going to their language and you know and she's she's learned all about them and yeah, and I and I'm even saying that's like that's not even the version of her that was uh born in our society. I think I feel like she adapts crazy quickly. You'd bring her two thousand years into the future. And I think she's just like, okay, got it. And she just like is immediately, you yeah. know, with, within a few weeks, she's got her smartphone figured out. And like, she just gets it. She's yeah. just so and, sharp. And her social media is probably absolute <laughs> fire because she's like smoking hot and super successful. And she can do TikToks in like nine languages. <laughs> like she's, she's killing it on the socials. You know, it's like uh, in the 2020, you know, presidential race where they, you know, the you had like the the couple of different democratic candidates that would like speak like two or three sentences of spanish oh. on stage or whatever imagine she's in a debate and speaking nine languages fluently like yeah she's right, crushed she's killing it right. she's killing it she's like the first person who's like the president of like three countries at once because <laughs> everybody wants her was like oh my god can you be our president too please like she's she's expanding through like voluntary uh what's what's what I'm looking for uh, voluntary liberation almost like Countries are just annexing right, to yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's. It's not like a. You're right. It's not like a Napoleon where she's like ruling over all these countries. Like they're voting for her. Yeah. Right. Like I. Yeah. I think she. I think she crushes it. Now she's also ruthless though too because she also wasn't afraid of assassinations though. So is there maybe with, with all that as the awesome front? Does she, is that enough to rely on, or is she also doing some underhand, you know, stuff behind where she's like you're almost like Putin, where she's if she goes that route, where she's actually less of like this, you know, Ooh. idealized, you know, Ooh. Pete Buttigieg on steroids, or is she more like Putin, where she's undermining and kind of getting rid of all our enemies behind the scenes? Yeah, but like... You better be careful, the Russians are listening to this. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, also, like, everyone's cool with it, probably. Yeah. But no one really probably knows about That's it. That's what I wonder, like, she, like is, she, you know, is she being as challenged for power in the modern era? No, oh, right, right. I don't know, I don't, I don't think, again, I, I don't think she has to go, like, super assassiny though like she doesn't have to be killing off her rivals okay 21 she can just she can just use instagram she, she could use twitter to like cancel people in nine languages or whatever like she true she, she doesn't have to like be killing yeah. her enemies right that was only back then because she had to but she's getting rid of them for sure right she used the tools yeah. at the time just like she did back in the day back in 2000 years ago hey assassination was how you did things Versus today, she would be, I think, enough of a pragmatist that she just, whatever she needs to do to get ahead, and she would kill it. Right. But at the same time, she can also, like, call up SEAL Team 6 and be like, go take care of it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so then same thing with Temujin, which, of course, Genghis Khan did. Although, arguably, in an insulting way, I thought. The fact that they kind of had him just as this, you know, mindless barbarian tearing up the sporting goods store was good for a joke. But again, I, I feel like Temujin was smarter than maybe they make him seem in the movie. Although the ambitious and the zeal is definitely probably accurate. But uh, I think he'd be a little more, I don't know. So I think, I think Temujin has actually kind of the opposite story. I think he has far less success in the modern era than he would 
of his time. And I think that's just due to the interconnected nature of the world today. True. People would unite to stop him, right? You know, every expansionist of, you know, the moderately modern era, you know, you think Napoleon. Oh, no, is he, is he, is he Hitler? Is, is Temujin just Hitler? You, yeah, today? that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh. I think he's Hitler today. You know, I think he has some, some initial success, but, you know, because he's, he's still going to be very expansionist, of course. Like, you know, that's his M.O. Huh. And, and, you know, I guess to the, to the contrary of Hitler, you know, he was uh, much more moderate in terms of his policies of his conquered people. You know, I think that's maybe the one aspect that he I has over he, Hitler. I think, he's, I think he's more of a closer to, like, Napoleon than he is to Hitler. I agree. Well, exactly. And that's probably fair. Because Hitler was, had the big, you know, there was a big racial, you know, fascist element to his expansionism, whereas Napoleon was just more so wanted to expand the glory of France and was also, like, relatively cool with, you know, local populations keeping their traditions and stuff. Whereas, you know, Hitler just wanted everything that wasn't Aryan Germany to disappear from the face of the earth. I agree. I, I, Which I, I, don't, I don't think that, yeah, I don't think Genghis Khan is like, oh, no, only Mongols are allowed to live in, on Earth. No. I think he just, wants, he just wants to be in charge of everyone. But even looking at just the Napoleon, Napoleon uh, comparison, which I, I do agree, I think that's a little more accurate. You know, even Napoleon had met his fate because of coalitions of other yeah. countries, right? You know, at some point, right. your army is going to be so spread thin that you can't manage that kind of empire if right. other countries turn against you. And so I think it's the similar effect. I think that's a good point that the, yeah, the, the interconnectedness definitely does not lend itself to making an environment where someone can make a huge empire like that. Because even, yeah, like with Napoleon, even, I mean, they didn't even have wireless communication, but even just the just moderate, more interconnectedness of Europe, like that was what kept him from being as as successful as someone like Genghis Khan. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think Genghis Khan, I think Genghis Khan massive disadvantage in the modern day cleopatra massive advantage because she just she just uses all the tools even better from a world perspective or how the world perceives them point of view i would think it'd be i agree that napoleon is closer but also napoleon is not seen as you know ruthless or even you know bloodthirsty kind of type so it'd almost be more of a not to us. Well, I know, but well, fair. But like Napoleon tinged with a little, you know, Ivan the Terrible or Vlad Tepes kind of stuff, where he's doing all this stuff and it's you know, you know, trying to take over a lot of Europe. But when he does conquer a city, he's pretty ruthless with it. So it's not racially charged like it was with Hitler. But I think it's a little more than just Napoleon. I think he's kind of coming into these er- er- territories and yeah. sending a message in a way that Napoleon didn't. If you have a temperature in the modern world, right? What about you know, just as far as his uh, you know, political respect on the world stage. You know, I, I kind of feel like he would almost be treated almost as like Kim Jong. No, right. He'd be, you're right. He'd be this thug. I, yeah, I think that, uh, well, Kim Jong's kind of seen as incompetent though. And Temujin's definitely anything but incompetent. Yes. Maybe more like a Saddam Hussein. Saddam, yeah. Maybe like a Saddam. That might be a, that but might be a better. Smarter. No, yeah. Saddam might be the best comparison. If, if Saddam was even more expansionist. But even still, the like, but like it, if Timogen is alive in the modern day, I don't think he has the exact same attitudes towards the conquering and the pillaging true. and stuff like that. That for the time was like just how true how you did things. Things were yeah. like that's just how you operated. Kind of like how we said Cleopatra wouldn't necessarily have to assassinate her rivals in the modern world. 
Temujin might be a little more pragmatic right. as well, and maybe he still has ambitions of leadership, but right. he's also... He, there's different things to take advantage of at the time. He was taking advantage of all these disparate things and uniting them. Well, if those things are already united with established right. borders, well, that's a whole different thing. And you're right. Yeah. So he, I, he's, yeah. Well, is he able to, to unite different countries? You know, obviously, you know, the, the tribes were essentially politically independent and he was the first to unite True. all of the nomadic people of Mongolia. You know, does he get China to basically just join him? you know, through political reasons or instead maybe, of... Right, Maybe he yeah. doesn't even... Maybe he's like, well, the political, you know, the political stage of the world and, and international borders and such are the way that they are, and I can't, you know, make my huge, like, land empire, but maybe he, like, starts a little startup, and so he just goes, like, the business route, and he just does, like, hostile takeover over hostile takeover. Instead of, like, pillaging cities, he's just, like, firing entire companies worth of people. And then he's like, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg, but cool. Okay, that's the way to go. Okay. I thought you were going to go with like space exploration. He, he's going to colonize another planet. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> like, hey, hey, yeah, there you go. He's going to become the, the Elon. He's going to become Elon Musk and then, yeah, and then go to Mars and be like, ha now I have a, a whole planet. Like, okay. You guys can have your portion of Earth, but I have Mars. Yeah. I, okay, I like Temujin as space conqueror. <laughs> <laughs> did he get the astronaut suit? Please tell me he, he did. Who has, Please tell me he did. Who has the the John Glenn space suit? No, that Cle- Cleopatra's got the space oh! suit. <laughs> oh, all right. For, for those just tuning in, we have each of each of the final four competitors here has uh, the eight relics they've uh, gained from their conquest thus far uh, that we don't necessarily need to rehash here. The one other thing I may want to just discuss, because we're, we're doing pretty good on time, so just real quickly here before we vote to decide who advances to the final here, just kind of any general misconceptions. If we're just looking at Cleopatra and Genghis Khan, you know, as they're kind of perceived by the general public, what misconceptions uh, would we like to maybe clear up? And maybe we have discussed some of this already, but uh, let's just kind of give them one last little uh, rundown here before we vote, specifically looking at misconceptions. So like Cleopatra being not as gorgeous as everyone thinks, it's more actually about just her being so fascinating of a person that that made her irresistible. I think that's a big one with her. I I think that there's a certain, there's a kind of a misconception when it comes to Cleopatra about like, oh, she was just super hot. So the only reason that she was able to do what she did is because all these dudes who were actually powerful and competent just kind of like, you know, fell in love with her because she was so hot and it almost it takes away from a lot of what she did because like she was seducing like Julius Caesar and Mark Antony, but like not just because she was hot, because she was super interesting to talk to, and because she was just super smart and brilliant. Like I I think that that's uh she's not given. I, I think it's kind of like the opposite of what people. Uh, the, the, it's kind of the opposite misconception that people have of Joan of Arc. Where Joan of Arc is like, okay, she probably didn't have as much agency as you think. She's just kind of a mascot. Whereas Cleopatra probably had way more agency than a lot of people realize. She wasn't just this, like, right, you know, right. hot girl queen. Right. She might have been the smartest person on the planet at the time. Like, just super smart, yeah, super charismatic, exactly. super interesting. And then uh, Temujin? I think, you know, with him, the the misconception that he's just this brutal conqueror. You know, I think we saw once he had conquered, he was also competent in how he managed that large empire 
and you know, also very innovative in his conquering, you know, both from the sense of archers on horseback and then, you know, as Logan stated uh, in an earlier episode about capturing engineers to have them make siege weapons for him when his horseback archers couldn't get the job done. Right. There, there's a level of intelligence. He's not just this brutal savage who has no logic in what he's doing. You know, there is a, a cunning aspect to his conquering and to his management of his empire. Right. He was he was successful not just because he was brutal, but also because he was really smart and innovative in the way that he was fighting wars. Yes. Right, which you which you wouldn't get that at all when you see his depiction in Bill and Ted's where they just kinda do make him a uh two dimensional bloodthirsty character. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea that he has basically the one thing that they master with like these archers on horseback and it's just so innovative and so powerful. And then when they run up against literally a wall that doesn't work against, he's like, okay, I'll figure it out a completely different way and completely reinvent myself and, you know, do it with the siege weapon stuff. And also it's, he's smart enough to know that there's things he doesn't know. So when Mm, he comes up against the wall, he's not just like, oh, well, I'm just done. Like I'm going to leave or, oh, I'm just going to like throw wave after wave of soldier at it until like half my army's dead. He's like, oh, I, I don't know how to, how to defeat this. But I know that there's people who do, and so I'm going to get them to help me. And I'm if I'm going to tell them that if they don't, that I'm going to kill them, and so they're going to help me. And now I have siege weapons. Okay, so I think it's time to vote for who advances to the championship of our tournament here. And I, I forget whose turn it is to go first. I'll I'll go ahead and go first here, and then let you guys go. And like all of these, we've talked a million times about not just the elite eight, but you know, even beyond that, there's a million people in this tournament. Well, I guess, you know, less than a million. There was 32. But lots of people in this tournament who could have <laughs> won it all. And you can make an argument for people who weren't even in the Elite Eight. to you know, Like an Ivan the Terrible, you can make the argument that he should win the whole thing. So I'm definitely not voting against either party here. But I think just from doing the research and all the conversations we've had throughout every round of this tournament, I still just find Cleopatra more compelling. And I... I'm totally prepared to lose this two two to one, and that's fine. But just the fact that she was the most interesting person on the planet at the time, what we talked about with if you move her to the present day and she just absolutely kills it because that's who she was, is just this super charismatic, super intelligent person who would have succeeded no matter when you put her in human history. And just the fact that we know her name, you know, two millennia later, yeah, she's she's just endlessly fascinating. I love Temujin, so you know you guys do what you will. But I, I'm going to cast my vote for Cleopatra. So I didn't anticipate this. I I really didn't. I fully expected to vote Genghis Khan going into this, but I, I and I I still want to. My heart wants to, but I think I think Rich is right. I think you know of all the scenarios that we played out there, the only one Genghis Khan really wins is him straight up against Cleopatra. That was the only scenario oh, that we talked about that. Right, through sheer force. That yeah. Genghis Khan might have the advantage, and that's, you're right, it's because of pure force. So so I, I think I'm going to agree. I think I'm going to go with Cleopatra, because I think, you know, not only was she successful in her time, she would be successful in, in any time. You know, I think she would have still been just as successful, more or less, put in Genghis Khan's shoes. She wouldn't have been the expansionist, but I think sh- she would still have uh, a great deal of notoriety. And again, you know, bringing her to the modern era, she's infinitely more successful than she even was at her time. Yeah, I, uh, I, 
I am also gonna vote Cleopatra. Oh. She is. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna keep it keep it short because you know we kind of covered most of it already. But yeah, she's one of the most interesting people in history. One of the smartest people in history for sure. And yeah, I I think that you know showing the or discussing how how successful she would have been regardless of of what time period she's in. Like she's she's gonna make moves. Yeah, I, I I think she uh, has a slight slight edge over Genghis Khan, so I am also going to vote Cleopatra. Make it three zero. Wow, that that was unexpected. But and again, no knock against Temujin. Anybody who's listened to this, you know to the tournament thus far knows we are huge Genghis Khan fans. But yeah, I think uh, Cleopatra is is the winner, and she advances to the championship, where she will face the winner of our matchup next time. T.E. Lawrence and Napoleon. So stay tuned to see how that one shakes out. And then Cleopatra will await the winner in the championship. So yeah, thanks for listening. We will catch you next time.